Tonight we're going to be looking at John chapter 3, 22 through to 30. And no, I'm not going to read other verses around it. <laughs> not going to read the whole chapter. I'm not going to start from Genesis tonight. We're going to start from uh, John chapter 3, verses 22. Um, and it's called John's Last Testimony. I'll read it to you. It says this. After these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea. And there he was spending time with them and baptizing. John also was baptizing and anon near Salem, because there was much water there. And people were coming and being baptized, for John had not yet been thrown in prison. Therefore there arose a discussion on the part of John's disciples with the Jew about purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you beyond the Jordan, to whom you have testified, behold, he is baptizing, and all are coming to him. John answered and said, A man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. You yourselves are my witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent ahead of him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. So this joy of mine has been made full. He must increase, but I must decrease. Interesting passage, hey? In this, in this passage, really, the cameo role is John the Baptist. And we see here a situation where John is baptizing a, a number of people. I love, I love this line. It says, John was also baptizing in a non-less Salem because there was much water there. <laughs> I was like, that's deep. That's deep right there. <laughs> He chose the spot where there was water to baptize yeah, him. Yeah. <laughs> but, but John's got this thing going on where he's, he's baptizing his followers, his disciples. And then this man, Jesus, turns up and all the people that were once following John, all of a sudden the crowds shift and start to follow Jesus. Where John, who was like the OG of baptism, was doing his thing. Yeah. There was a transition from John and his ministry to all of a sudden someone greater has stepped on the scene and the people were migrating to Christ. And I love John's response that in and amongst all of this, it's almost like his entire ministry is just walking out the door. They've gone from the Hope Center to Upper Hutt Baptist. <laughs> you know, it's like, so that was a bad example. I said, <laughs> You can pick anywhere. <laughs> you can pick anywhere. That was, that was they're just the two places that came to me. But you get what I'm saying. It's like there's a transition from one to another, you know. And John is absolutely, totally cool with that shift, you know. And you see here, he, he says these words: "He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice." So this joy of mine has been made full. And so John is saying in this moment, he's saying, you know, 
I've recognized that, that your bridegroom has now stepped onto the stage and my role in this is not to try and whittle the bride away from you, to steal the thunder, to draw the attention back to myself. Actually, the bride belongs to the bridegroom and my greatest joy is not attracting your attention, your love, your devotion, your thanks, your praise, your appreciation. My greatest joy is seeing you connected to the true bridegroom that's Christ and actually my ministry is not about me it's not about my following it's not about drawing attention and followers for myself it's actually about pointing you to the one that you've been predestined to be in an eternal marriage covenant with I'm the friend of the bridegroom and it's my greatest joy to see those who are the true bride connected with their head powerful passage hey and so we've got some questions to unpack as a, the panel tonight. Um, it'll be awesome for us to spend a little bit of time here unpacking it. Um, and just like always, just want to remind you, you know, be, be part of this discussion. We'll have, we'll, we'll, uh, I'm keen to make some solid time for table discussion, but be involved in this dialogue. Feel free to pipe up, jump in, share your thoughts. This is the environment to, to be able to do that. So let's um, go after this together. Um, and... You know, by the way, the guys on the panel, I asked Nick, you know, how the, the preparation was going. And he said, well, we never really talk about what we were going to talk about anyway. <laughs> so you guys are just as well prepared as us to enter into this with us. So let, let's, let's do it. Well, we'll get, the, we'll get the party started. So question number one, why is John not concerned that people have stopped coming to him and are now coming to Jesus to be baptised? Chris, I don't know, do you want to kick us off, mate? <clears throat> Evening, everyone. Um, one of the things that I love, I'll, I'll try and answer it, um, I'll try and stay on track, um, is that John has a really clear, he has really clear sight of who he is and what his purpose is. He's not confused by losing something that he's attached to what is his, effectively his mandate. Um, so I went back to John chapter 1, and he says, um, what does he say? Uh, John says, oh, here we go. John answered them saying, I baptize one among you whom, I baptize with water, but there stands one among you whom you do not know. It is he who coming after me is preferred before me. Mm. And you go, this guy he knows his place, and he says to them, uh, "I was when they ask him who he is, he says, I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. So he realises that he's a forerunner. And the thing that I love is, as you read John chapter 1 there, and it talks about what it is that John's saying and about what it is that he has real insight into, and he shares that, he doesn't depart from that by what it is that's being said when this other baptism's turning up. He doesn't go, oh, well, I've started baptizing and now I've got the baptism ministry and, and, and tries to create a ministry around this thing that he's been given to do. He recognizes his position and he doesn't exceed that. Yeah. And, and what it is that he's standing on and what it is that he is, is, is rested in is what it is that he's been given and he's not trying to attach anything to that that's not his. So he's really holding it like this. 
And I just think that's such a beautiful thing because it's so easy to go for God to give us something and for us to try to grab something more than what he's given. Well, I'm doing this. And you can see that the, the disciples do that, and that's a mark of immaturity. They, they really have latched on to this baptism ministry and they're doing what they, what they think the mandate is by potentially trying to guard that and settle on that. And John's like, hey, I, I know who I am. I'm not shaken. And if this is increasing, then that's what's meant to happen, you know? And he's so rested and it's healthy. Yeah. That's beautiful, eh? You know, because I think, you know, that it says that there's one coming who's greater than I, yeah, yeah. Not, un, not even worthy to untie his sandals, yeah, eh, yeah, you know? Yeah. He'll baptize, uh, you know, there's one who will baptize in water, yeah. there's another coming who will baptize in the Holy Spirit yes. and in fire, yeah, you know? Right. And you can, you can just see, imagine the guy, this story could play out in a completely different way, eh? That if there's insecurity in, in John's heart, Imagine if a ministry turns up where yours is in water, but another true baptism's coming, which is going to be in the Holy Spirit and in fire. Yeah. That has every opportunity to make you think, well, what was my ministry then? Yeah. You know, is it subpar? Is it second rate? You know, yeah. actually, you've, you've played an important role. And is it, is it okay for you to play your role and now step back from your role because it's not about you. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, I'm here to serve because actually the, the, my baptism in water was always a foreshadow right. of something much greater, you know? And, and so to me, it's like, it's beautiful, eh? He's, he's able to play his part and recognize what his part's ultimately pointing towards, eh? You know? And you can see it when the, the I think it's the Pharisees, they say, who are you? And he says... Oh, they say, who are you that we may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? And he says, I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. Well, here's an opportunity for some fame, John. These people that are somebodies are asking who you are. You could actually make a name for yourself. I'm John the Baptist. This is me, and I'm the guy that first started doing this. This is the John the Baptist ministry. And if you want a baptism, come and see me, because I... I'm all about this, you know? And he goes, actually, I'm going to answer you something. That's it, by the T-shirt. He's like, I'm going to answer you with something that is directly out of Scripture that should give you some context, but what's really important in this is about what's coming after me, not even what it is that I'm doing. Because he goes, my name isn't important. That's a big deal. Mm. Who's doing that? My name's not important. And in fact... My ministry's purpose is to serve something which is coming after, and that's what I'm hoping to lead you to by even telling you this. One of the prophets that you recognize has declared this about me. This is who I am, and it's not about me. Are you ready for what's coming? And you can just hear these guys, they're like, it doesn't, it, it, we don't hear answers like that, mm. you know? And it just reminds me, Chris, as you're sharing, you know, that. And, the prophets in the Old Testament, it says that they knew that they were not serving themselves, but us in these matters that they were prophesying about. Isn't that a mentality to have? You know what I mean? That's a, that's a heartbeat that is so divine, you know, to be able to, to, to recognize and see I'm actually not serving even my own family, my own generation. I'm being faithful 
in what it is that God's put in me to proclaim and to demonstrate for a future generation. Yeah. You know, it's like that. There's no, um, any, there's nothing that can come back to you for yourself. You're you're, sim- you're serving yeah. something else, someone else. So you know, so, yeah. you know, it's cool. He, um, you've got the the Pharisees coming up to him, all in the garb, you know, looking the part, the holy men of God. And you've got this guy wearing camel's fur, eating locusts and honey in the wilderness. He's not only um, preaching a message of repentance, but demonstrating this this something in the wilderness to the people. You know, it's so easy to outwardly show something, but then he shows it like in his words, like you were saying about, you know, when they come up and who are you, you know? And even even as, as it's prophesied, a voice crying in the wilderness not like this guy John the Baptist will come you know there's not a name attached to it it's a voice crying in the wilderness so there's a there's a voice that's going to proclaim that's going to do that's going to speak out now it's the voice isn't it's not about this the voice it's about what the voice is proclaiming and who the voice is proclaiming pointing those that come to him and will accept this baptism of repentance in a way of preparation for the ones that's to come you know I believe it's preparing them for the kingdom message you know let's let's soften your hearts let's see you repent of what you have done and the sin and iniquity that's in you and wash you clean that when the message comes the message of the kingdom comes you're ready for that message and so how powerful a role that is but it can look like nothing but if they're not prepared because so many rejected the message and even those that w- did go through the baptism of repentance, there were Pharisees and Sadducees and that that came out and partook of his thing, just in case. You know, let's, let's do this washing, let's do this thing, just in case, you know. There's something in this, you know, and they doubted who he was. And, oh, is he Elijah, is he this, you know, but he came in the spirit of. And I was thinking to myself, okay, Lord, well, why, how was he able to do this? How was he able to live this state of heart? You know, this, this laying down his life position where he would go and live in the wilderness, give up all physical things. You know, he was the son of a, the priest, you know, a priest in the temple. Mm. You know, he was supposed to follow in that lineage and wear the clothes of these, you know, these priests and these, you know, Pharisees, these high up people. Mm. But he was willing to give all those away. And then I was led to the passage where it says, even in the womb, he was filled with the Spirit of God. Yeah, that's right. mm. So why was he able to do what he did and, and reveal, you know, and be this voice? It was because he was filled with the Spirit of God. Yeah. You know, yeah, that's awesome. And I love that about the voice, eh? You know, it's yeah. like, what do they say? What did you come out in, in the wilderness to see? Mm. You know, and really, it wasn't actually to see; it was to hear. Yeah. You know what I mean? A, a voice crying in the wilderness. You know, and I think to me, it's like, what do we, what do we come to when we gather? Do we come to 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 listen to a man preaching? Or do we hear to come a voice crying in the wilderness? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's not a show. It's not a performance. It's can we hear mm. the, the reality of Christ being um, released from earthen vessels, eh? You know? And that with John the Baptist, if you look with your physical eye, everything about him is offensive, eh? Yeah, yeah. You know? And there's something about that that's beautiful, eh? Like you're saying, Nick, you know, he's, he's the son of a priest, but yet he's so, he's a priest in heart, mm. but so right. free from the priestly religiosity of mm. the day, you know? He, he, he wears 
a, a coat of camels here, you know, and he's eating locusts. He's outside of the religious system, you know. He's he's not caught up in their games, you know yep. what I mean? And and yet he's demonstrating something before he even utters a word. He's demonstrating something just in his being, and his voice only confirms the reality of the man that you see in front of you, eh? You know, and so to me, that's a position of authority. You know, it's like as the you know as the man is the message. Yeah. The message is the man. You can't separate the two because here I am. I'm a I'm a living demonstration of what this um, this. I would say this reality of being free from institutional religion yeah. looks like hey, and so yeah. my voice is only uttering what you what you see, you know. So well, he's come he's come with the message of the baptism of repentance, mm. and he's demonstrating this life that yeah. is turned from man's way to God's good, way, isn't yeah, it? Definitely. Yeah, that's right. Oh yeah, I'm into that. <laughs> I love, um, I love. You know, this is a, just another example of the, of his heart. You know, it says, "In the next day, John stood with two of his disciples, and looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God.' The dis- the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Yeah. And that's pretty much the last time that John sees anything of his disciples, I imagine. <laughs> and yeah. do you know what? You don't even read about it. Yeah, yeah, Doesn't yeah. even matter. Yeah. Not even a factor. I've just poured yeah. all this time into these guys. They're my disciples. They're, it, it, there's none of this, I'm getting my worth from what's attached yeah. to me, from That's my right. number of followers, from the things that I've been sowing into. Now, yeah. isn't that a, such a demonstration of real freedom yeah. that you can pour into something and not know the day that it's going to turn around and walk away and it's not even a factor because your life wasn't hinged or built on recognition for this thing that you've done. You're not seeking that because you absolutely know who it is that sent you, what your purpose is. It's not even shaken. Love the Lord your God. Mm. Exactly. Because what happens if you don't have that position and a situation like this happens? You get the hump, right? It's like all of this time and energy and effort that I've spent investing into you And you're going to turn your back and walk away from me, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's like that that kind of thing to me. That that's what we're talking about this morning. And you know, it's it's the God of self, right? It's like your ministry. Is it about the? Is it about other people? Is it about preparing others for the bridegroom? Or actually, is it about you? Are you trying to? Are you trying to play the role of bridegroom in the lives of these people? Actually, that's adultery. You know what I mean? You're inviting, you're, you're drawing them into your adultery and you're trying to commit adultery mm. with them. Yeah. Actually, both of you have been predestined to a marriage, but it's not here. Yeah. It's here, you know? Yeah. And so I love that, Chris. You know, we've got to be free from the, each other, yeah. from their praise mm. and from their criticism, That's eh? Right. You know, to be able to, to truly be who we need to be. Yeah. Holly? Luke 3, 7 adds quite a lot. Just said, uh, John said to the crowds. So it talks about John's insight. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? 
produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. Anyway, it goes on, but it clearly shows that that John had insight and uh, he wasn't going to be swayed by the people around him. What a way to start your ministry, eh? I think those are the first words that come out of the man's mouth, you know? <laughs> you brood of vipers, yeah. you know? <laughs> I might try that next time, you know. <laughs> none of this, like, names of the panel war, you know, like, none of this kind of, like, hanky-panky. This isn't, you know? isn't seeker-friendly. Yeah, yeah, this is, this is the real deal, you know. <laughs> but, but he demonstrates that, doesn't he, because it's not only to the Pharisees, but he's willing to call out the king. He calls out King Herod on his adultery. You know, like, this guy is no fear of man. He doesn't... He's not willing to appeal to the king. He's not willing to gain favor with anybody. In the end, it costs him his life. You know, he's just totally laid down for the cause and he's laid down for this righteousness and this walk of righteousness, you know, at all costs to himself. Yeah, it's cool. And the love that it takes to be able to put yourself in that position, yeah. you know, that you know that the words that are going to come out of your mouth, you brood of vipers, are going to have an impact that can only possibly be detrimental mm. to yourself based on your audience. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's like the reality of the hardened Pharisee heart, which, you know, the chances of of being hated are so much greater than the chances of being loved eh? in that moment. And yet love is prepared to go there for the sake of not just tearing down, but ultimately building up, eh? you know? And I think that's why we need to be so free from one another so that we can be to each other who we need to be, you know? To be able to encourage, but also to be able to rebuke and love. It's part of the same package, eh? But ultimately, whatever we do, whether it's kind and gentle, whether it's firm, it's for the benefit of the others and from the other, regardless of what will come back towards us. Eh? You know, so. All right, should we have a look at question number two? What does it mean to be a friend of the bridegroom? And what is it that makes the friend joyful? You want to tackle that one, Nick? What does it mean to be a friend of the bridegroom? Yeah, it's interesting. I um, was seeking the Lord on this, and at first glance, it's like, you know, it, it, it's this overwhelming joy in what's going to happen, in this love of the groom for the bride, and the love of the bride for the groom, and... I don't have a lot more than that, but what he started to talk to me about was of having the same heart. Like, we're to be the bride, but I believe we're also supposed to be in the spirit of a friend of the bridegroom for others. So he started to talk to me a lot about how much do I care about the people that I walk with, their relationship with God, their um, coming into this bridal position, this sort of thing. And and I've, and I was praying the other day, and this is before I got the questions and that, and... Um, he started speaking about, oh, I was just saying, Lord, you know, I, I can't transform myself. You can, you're the only one that can transform me. I can get frustrated, I can get annoyed because if I could do it in my strength, I'd be doing it in my strength, you know. I'd do that all that I can because I have a love for God, but I don't have the ability to transform myself. 
And so I've got to rely on him doing it. So that is the laying down the life, positioning myself, all these things. And then he started speaking to me about this, why don't you focus, rather than focusing on yourself and where you're at as the bride, which seems like a good thing to do, you know, where, how are you loving God, you know, how are you positioning yourself, where are you at in your relationship with God, are you meeting the standard of the virgin bride that seeks after him, and, you know, worrying about where I am with him, he said, how about you focus a little more on the others, encouraging them into this relationship, seeing them built up, you know, fixing your eyes on me, and then because you've got your eyes fixed on me, you start fixing your eyes on others, and you're more concerned with their growth and their development, which in turn, because your eyes are fixed on him and fixed on others, leads to the transforming work being done in you. Because in this demonstration, in this positioning, in this walking that out with more concern for others than self, because again, it can end up being one of those things of self, and it doesn't look like the religion we're talking, we've been talking about with the Pharisees, you know, who were in to showing themselves, but it, it's almost like even with when we think about the rewards and we think about the change and the transformation, we can be trying to seek to do this in our own strength, which is another form of like self-help. Yeah. You know, the world's all into self-help. You know, if my eyes are so fixed on myself and where I'm not, rather than being fixed on him and fixed on others and how I can encourage them and build them up. And so I see there's like, there can be a great joy in seeing the growth in others as you walk with them and you encourage them and you, and you just, yeah, it's just all, for me, it's just all this encouraging others into more of this life and the, this transformation life. And what would it look like if a body's doing this? You know, if all... Yeah. Yep. And that's definitely a part of it. That's definitely a part of it. That's the overlooking when others do the wrong, isn't it? You know, looking beyond what comes out in the natural. But I think there's something deeper than that, and it's this desire to see this work done in them that transforms them, so that the the stuff that we happen to give them grace for is no longer coming out because it's been transformed into Christ likeness. You know, so I see, you know, John the Baptist just full of joy for the one who's coming, knowing there's something bigger, maybe not seeing the full picture of that, because even when he's in prison, he goes, he, you know, sends off his disciples, can you just go and check that this guy is who he said he was? He's seen the dove come down, he's, you know, he has this witness in his spirit that it's the right one, but maybe, I don't know, is this another forerunner? Is this not the, the main guy? You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, and so, but, yeah, so the, the Lord's just starting to speak to me about this, and he's always uh, encouraged me to encourage and to be an encourager of others, and what does this look like? Because we're supposed to come together to encourage one another, you know, it's a huge part of it. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Got that's good, yeah. That's that's awesome, Sandra. Because that's so. Um, Sandra just said, um, spent how much time is spent praying for one another, you know, in the secret place. Well, there's not much glory in that mm. to be seen by other people. You wouldn't do that yep. for 
credits on earth, would you? <laughs> um, one of the things I was thinking about there, you know, Jesus said, um, greater love has no man than this, than he lays down his life for his friends. Mm. And what an example of a guy who's giving his life for his friend. He even says that this, this friend of the bridegroom has no greater joy than to see the bridegroom's joy fulfilled. That's, that is exactly the passage that Jesus, you know, Jesus is, it's exact reference to that. So John is actually living in love, out of love, for his friend to see his friend's joy fulfilled. You know, and this is, and like you, like you just said, Sandra, this is, this is to be us as well as we mature in Christ, that we would, you know, Paul says, pray for those that are imprisoned like you're imprisoned with them. Whoa, that's a, that's a big deal. I think it's pretty easy, especially in the Western world, where it's not really right in front of us mm. to live like that, mm. like you're imprisoned with them. And I think, I think, you know, personally and, and more than just me, we lack a revelation on what it means in, in 1 Corinthians when it says if one member suffers, all the members suffer yeah. with it, or if one member is honoured and all the members rejoice with it. You know, because, and, and John the Baptist had this heart, and we're mm. called to be... Yep. living in a greater reality in that because John was the greatest of the old yeah. prophets, you know. Mm-hmm. Now, he was filled with the Spirit, but I yep. believe, you know, he lived under a different mm. covenant. That's right. Um, and, I, and I think that there's, you know, some factors mm. there. But I, I, I'm just like, man, when, when love takes over, mm. when love moves in, yep. you can't help but live for another. Mm. You know, and I know it says it in, in 1 Corinthians but as an instruction, but this is the natural position of when love moves in. We will lay our lives down for one another, whether we're seen doing it or unseen, it doesn't actually matter. Because, because in love, reward or recognition isn't the motivation. The, the result of this other person's joy being fulfilled is the reward in itself. It just reminds me of in Romans, you know, this is Paul and he says, I'm telling the truth in Christ, I'm not lying. My conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart. For I wish that I myself were accursed, Mm. separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom belongs the adoption of sons and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the temple service and the promises whose are the fathers um, and from whom the, is the Christ according to the flesh who is overall God bless forever amen and I was yeah. like man like this guy is like man I, you know for, for I wish that I myself were accursed mm. separated from Christ <laughs> well wow. For the sake of my brethren, you know, and in other passages he says, you know, I would pluck out my my own eyes that that my my physical brothers would enter into reality in Christ. Eh? It's like, man, what does it take yeah, to to go to that level of love? Like you're saying, Chris, it's like, you know, it reminds me of you know, Paul says, when the love of Christ yeah. controls me, there, there's such a deep um, groundedness and love that all of a sudden you're not conscious of you anymore and yet it doesn't go to the point where you're self deprivating do you know what I mean it's not this position of you're a martyr and you're constantly living this 
subpar life only for the sake that others will be built up you know what i mean it's like that's an empty filthy place you know what i mean it's not that at all it's a full place you know it's like the reality of love in him means that he's full and so he actually doesn't need anything for him it's all about others and in it being all about others it's also all about himself you know because god he knows god's love is for him as it is for others but unless you know the depth of the love of God, how would you know it for your for your brothers, you know? So it's like you can't you can't separate the two way, it's a two in one two in one thing, you know. So Yeah, well, we've—I mean—we've been speaking about this for a, for a while now, and this—you just touched on it there, Asam. This um, the death of self, like the self has got no place in this, yeah. right? Because self is always going to do what self does. It's going to look out for self. Now, I'm able to give some stuff away or look out for the benefit of others to a certain degree without the death of self, because oftentimes there's something in it for me. Yeah. But when there is nothing in it for me, in fact, when it costs. That's the real measure of, of where that's at, isn't it? Yeah. But when self isn't a factor anymore, you realise that actually the, these these barriers that we have, which is me and my life and you and your life and who's going to get to the top of the heap, it's not even a factor. Yeah. God's talking about something which is so far beyond that mm. because the prayer is that they would be one. And, and such a great example of this, and we talk about, you know, husband and wife, and, and that's a really good example of what it is that we're invited into where, um, I think it's uh, Paul, he says, um, husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Yeah. And you can see that Christ was looking for his bride, mm. and he gave everything for her. Mm. And and then Paul says, and... and Wives, honour your husbands, you know, and, and, and you can see that what I hear in that is what is this physical reality that we're called into where I'm called to be more aware of my wife's needs mm. and be more concerned for her outcome and her well-being than my own, not needing her to do the same for me, but that the example might encourage that as well. And when... And this is how I see how I see God. He's mm. all about other because love has to be outworked. Yeah, yeah. And I see a, a father who whose eyes are on his son and a son who's all about the spirit and the spirit who's doing the works of the father yeah. and they're all yeah. about the other and they've got no need to care about themselves because they're complete mm. and, and are so for each other that they're taken care of, you know? And I feel like physically... And spiritually, we're invited into that. Mm. Now, we can never make that happen. You can't make that happen. Mm. This is a, a work of the Spirit. But, you know, in terms of, of sight and seeing that, and, and I said it this morning, you know, for me, I heard this and I just love it. True worship is when you have lost all sight of yourself. Mm. I'm, I'm here, Lord, and I actually just don't even see myself anymore because you have filled yeah. my sight. Yeah. The other thing I was going to say is that in the Apostle's words about how no one, no 
spiritually, then you know, if, if I fall, we all fall. If you fall, yeah. we all fall. Yeah. Yeah. And so just as I nourish my own body, I'm supposed to look after my brothers and sisters and mm-hmm. we all yeah. do that together. Yeah. And I think that um, if we always keep that in mind, that will really help us to pu- push forward toward being like Christ. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Yeah. And just, oh, sorry, just, just for the sake of the recording, so it's, um, you know, it's to look out for each other in such a way that if one falls, we all fall, one rise, we all rise. A yeah. heartbeat. Yeah. 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 yeah, that picture of oneness, eh? It's one complete body. You know, one part of the body's affected, the other part's affected. Um, so I was drawing to a Philippians 2. And it ties into what you were saying. You know, therefore, if there be any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in the Spirit, intent on one purpose, doing nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests but also the interests of others and I'm thinking of um, John the Baptist and one of the things that came to me is you know we're supposed to be Christ-like and I think John the Baptist modelled a Christ-likeness when he was willing to play his part and then lay it down and Christ did the same thing he played his part and then he says there's one that's going to come after me the comforter you know and he was willing to lay down his part. I mean, he did it in the fullest message. Yeah. And so then we're called to do the same as John the Baptist did. Play our part, just our part, no more, no less, and then lay it down. And it's that, that, that's like a fragrant offering to God, isn't it? When we do just what he's asked us, what he's prepared before the foundations of the world for us to do, and lay that down. And I think there's something really beautiful in the laying of something down. You know, because we think, oh, let's, you know, let's have a ministry and let's grow it and 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 then God's going to be pleased, you know. And it's like, what if we just hear from the Spirit, do what the Spirit's calling us to do in the moment and then lay it down, you know. It's true freedom, eh? Yeah. Where you're able to serve not needing, um, a, a, not needing a particular outcome for yourself, eh? yeah. you know, whether it be in ministry, whether it be in marriage, like you're saying, Chris, you know, I think like to me that that's the that's the purest kind of love, eh? Where you're able to um, to live for someone else, and and your focus on the other person is not on the other person so that they'll change. You know yeah. what I mean? It's like on the other person purely for their own growth. And in marriage, it it requires something divine, right? Because you live so close to the other person. That actually, if they were to just grow, it would be so beneficial. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's like their growth would make my life so much easier. So, God, come on, change them. Do you know what I mean? It's like, I, I'm like, I just don't think that God even responds yeah. to those kind of prayers. You know what I mean? It's just like he's deaf, you know, he's, he's deaf to that kind of, because it's not from a heart that's pure, right? You know, it's like, true covenant love is actually you've got the you are concerned not about 
And to me, this is the, the beautiful dynamic of the two. It's like you're concerned about the other person, but actually you're not concerned about the other person yeah, yeah. because it's not about them, it's about you. Yeah. But it's actually not about you at all, it's about them. Yeah. But it's actually, do you see what I'm saying? It's like you can go round and round, but the ultimate heartbeat is actually you can only live from that if it's all about him. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Because at the end of the day, you can only be responsible for playing your role well and living right before him which looks like having a view of others that you would serve others before you serve yourself you know it's 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 so selfless and so pure and it's for us eh? you know like these things that we're talking about we're drawing from john the baptist life and from different examples but we need to have this substance yeah. Yeah. enter into us eh? you know and be confronted by the bigness of what God's invited us to and not let it pass us by. You know what mm. I mean? It's like, like we were saying this morning, then the, the, it, it demands a kind of response from us that it's, it's more than just a good message that we hear in a day that say, God, I don't have the capacity in me to be able to love my wife like that. Mm. I don't have the ability to be able to view others in the body like that. Mm. And you... You, you find this deep place of repentance that actually moves you, eh? And to me, that's the purpose of our gatherings, eh? Otherwise, we enter into good dialogue, but we don't enter into the one that it was always supposed yeah, to be yeah, about, yeah. eh? And so there's, and to me, I think that's what I prayed at the beginning, you know, like there's, like, the, the difference between this being a night that has eternal ramifications and one that's just another good night. Yeah. yeah. Is our is whether or not we respond to what it is that he's saying, eh? You know, and so that there needs to be a kind of response. And Chris and I were talking after the service that a response doesn't look like an older call. You know, mm. it it looks like a heart that that hears the word and repents mm, and yeah, turns yeah. and receives a greater measure of him, mm. hey? You know, um, and so you know that that's what's available. For us, eh? you know. So, it's funny because you say I sort of have to disagree with you a little bit. He does answer those prayers mm. when you say fix the other person, but he answers it with, "I want to work on you." <laughs> and what's your part in this? I remember when I first came to the Lord, and and I'm reading the Word, and I'm just reading it for what it says. And it's like husbands obey your, you know, wives obey your husbands, and I'm like, come on, Joe, you need to get on board with this. You know, <laughs> this sounds really good. You know, and and I'm. And things are going to a head and, you know, that doesn't go down very well when you actually just come out and say, this is what the word says. And, you know, in my immaturity and my ignorance of the spirit of the word. And I remember going, you know, and it's funny, we used to have these arguments and different things and things would get heated and I'd take myself away. I'd end up sitting on the toilet, you know, because it's the only place you can get away where nobody's going to bother you. So you lock the door and sit on the toilet and I'm praying to God. I'm like, God, you've got to do something with this woman you've given me, you know. She's got a few problems that need to be sorted, you know. And he would, it was beautiful. He would show me these pictures. This is what I, how I see her. This is how I want you to see her. What's in your heart that is making you respond in this way? And I'm like, Lord, but I didn't say anything wrong. I just, you know, see what's in your word. I just, and it's like, and he's, he took us through this journey. He's still taking us into that journey. It's like, it's because it's not always what you say. It's not always whether you're standing on the truth. It's how you say it. What's the heart motivation behind what you say? Are you wanting the best for the person 
And are you having this dialogue and having this interaction because you want the very best? Because God wants the very best for us. Mm. He doesn't want just what's good, mm. you know? And so, um, yeah, for me it is. He does answer those prayers. Mm. But he's more than likely going to point them back on you and say, okay, what's your part in this? Mm. You know, there's many times I've been wronged. I remember having a conversation with Chris one day just sitting over at the table over there. And I was going, oh, and this guy did this, and blah, 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 you know, all about this boss that I had and all the rest of it. And, he's, and Chris is going, and I'm, oh, this is the problem, this is the problem. And Chris is like, no, 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 I think it's you. <laughs> and I'm like, no, no, but, but you don't understand, bro. You're not, obviously not hearing me. This happened, this happened, this happened. And, you know, he was in the wrong. And Chris is like, no, no, I think it's you, bro. And Chris literally said it, like literally said it about 10 times until I gave in and said, no, you're right. What he may have done is wrong, but my reaction and the fact that I took offence from what was being said, you know, my heart, I, that needed to be dealt with. So even though the other person is not free of guilt, the Lord wants to deal with them, but the Lord deals with them. We don't deal with them. The Lord deals with them. So like Sandra was saying, let's pray for rather than against, because we can pray against too. Sort them out, you know, smash them down, Lord, humble them. You know, that person needs to be humble. They need to be taken right down low before they can come, you know, come back to into what you you know, what you've got for them. But are we you know, let's pray for, let's lift up, let's build up, let's encourage one another into this. Yeah. And you can be right technically and be wrong. You know what I mean? You can be you can be right in what's factually correct but wrong in the posture that you respond from, hey, you know? And it's like, in an argument, are we more concerned about being right or living right, mm. being righteous? You yeah, know? yeah. Cause yeah. It says that the anger of man doesn't achieve the righteousness of mm. God, you know? Yeah. That if anger comes out of us, why are we angry? Because we're not okay with someone else, you know? And in, and in our anger, it's a fleshly attempt to try and change someone but he says that actually that anger doesn't achieve righteousness. You might put them in your place, but you can't put the spirit of God into them to make them change. Do you know what I mean? It's like there's, yeah. we're completely incapable of doing a divine eternal work in someone else. Eh? You know? And so our best effort doesn't cut it. You know? so, yeah. Yeah, he says, um, to whom much is given, much is expected. Mm-hmm. And who's been given more than us? Like, mm. really, eh? Yeah. <laughs> We've been given so much, you know, and I, I love what John says. He says, um, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven, mm. you know? And so he recognizes the source mm. of what it is that he's been given, and he recognizes the source of what it is that Christ has been given, you know? And he's not competing for it. He's yeah. not in opposition. He's not contending for title, you know, like we've talked about before. And he, and he kind of sums up that last little bit that we read um, by saying, he must increase, but I must decrease. And here's a guy that's not fighting for his position. Yeah. You know, ultimately he's going to his death. Yeah. But he's already dead. Mm. You know what I mean? Like he's not afraid of it. He doesn't need to, he doesn't need to prolong his ministry because, well, if I say this thing to Herod and I get beheaded, Who's going to finish the ministry of baptism that you've given me, God? Because I need to take over now and perpetuate this baptism ministry. But it was absolutely right for a season, and it didn't need him to maintain that. Like, something was established, something was done, and he was able to decrease. 
But I love I love the order that he says that he says he must increase, yeah. but I must decrease. Mm. So he's not he's not the initiator of this. Not I'm not decreasing so that he can increase. Yep. There's an increase that's coming from above, mm. supernaturally, heavenly, mm. and and this is how it's going to work out. And actually, my eyes are on this yep. because this is where my joy is fulfilled. Mm. And in the process of this, I'm going to decrease, but I don't need to make myself decrease. It's not another work. Yep. And I love what um, what um, Tess said this morning, and I'll, I'll, I'll try and remember it the right way, but she said that, that God spoke to her and said, you are trying to make me a debtor to mm. you, where you've done some stuff, mm. and now I'm supposed to owe you That's for it. And I was like, man, that is so powerful because... You know, we can we can do some stuff and attach a, a debt to God mm. onto it. You know, I've done this stuff, God, mm. for you. Yep. Now you owe me. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And when you hear it out loud, you go, oh, that's horrible. But we can find ourselves in that position where inadvertently we're living in such a way that we we are doing something for God because mm. he needs us, you know. And it's it, it wasn't John the Baptist's position. And like I said before, he's, he's called to be the least... <laughs> you know, mm. under this new covenant, yeah, yeah. you know. Is that because like, for us that's why what the importance of freedom is about when you know the freedom of the spirit, then you don't have concerns about maybe how that might go on in your mind because you know the freedom that you have in the spirit. You can have all kinds of mind things that, that appear to be what they are, but they can, can be just be circumstances or they could be uh, different reasons why things, people have problems with their minds about things. Yeah. Yeah. So that I'll just reiterate that a little bit. Um, what does what does freedom look like? Is what I, what I'm hearing you say. Um, and and for me, I I go. There's a wisdom that comes from above, and a wisdom that comes from below. And we've seen many demonstrations of the wisdom that comes from below, and that can be coming directly from us because it's man's wisdom, and it will naturally find itself in opposition to God. And there's a wisdom that comes from above, and like John said, a man can't receive anything except what's been given to him from above. And I love that. I even just love that word, receive. He's giving it. John, uh, James says, "Is anyone lacking wisdom? Let him ask of yeah. God, who gives to all men liberally." He's not going to rebuke you for asking for his wisdom. He wants you to have it. And so you find yourself in a, in a position where God's giving this thing, and now am I, can I receive this, God? Help me to receive what you're already giving. It's not something new, but you're inviting me to be ready to receive what's already being offered. It's a faith-filled position. And, and I go, oh, God, you, you want us to have this, and you want us to live from this, and it's ours from you, um, but I, but I, you know, what I see is that sometimes it comes differently than what we think. You know, in my mind, it's this bing, and it turns up, and you know, sometimes it can do that. But isn't God's wisdom love? His wisdom is love. What does love look like? And as He fills us, and as we have seen love, we see love. You know, we know love because He first loved us. And so, you know, going back to to John, He is talking about a position of the friend of the, the bridegroom 
And that is the position of love. And that is an eternal wisdom that was, in my opinion, articulated clearly by Christ when he said, greater love has no man than he would lay down his life for his friend. Well, John's speaking that and has captured that, not because he had a good idea, but because he received Mm. love and was able to live from it. Even just thinking about wisdom, you know, saying, Chris, about the, the wisdom not being intellectual capability, yeah. mm. but the ability to demonstrate yeah. a Christ-like love, uh, like life and having love formed in us. Eh? And it just reminds me of James, and it says, Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds and the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, and the fruit and whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Mm. And I think to me that that sums up John the Baptist day. It's like here's a man who's living from the heavenly wisdom. You know, wisdom, he says, you know, if you've got bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, don't be arrogant and lie as if you're living from wisdom. You know, he says that that's earthly, natural, demonic, you know. But the flip side actually is being free from the need to, for your own reputation, selfish mm. ambition, jealousy, which is what John demonstrates. Actually, mm. there's a, you're living from divine wisdom. Eh? It's oh, the, the yeah. wisdom of above, and, and he epitomizes that in, in these passages. Eh? You know? Think about Noah, the receive the wisdom from above. He's in the middle of the desert building a big boat. <laughs> there's not, no water in sight. But he's received this revelation. He does what he's been instructed to do by the Lord himself, plays his part, prepares the way for humanity to continue to exist in, the, in a very similar way to John prepared the way for Christ. You know? Cool. Any, um, any thoughts or questions, comments? We're serving the one we love, so it's, you know, like the question is, are we serving out of love for him or uh, for ourselves? Are we? If it's out of self, then it's not love. It's not the true heart position. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, that's what I see mm. in all of this. It's a servant, the position of the servant of serving the one you love. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I think the thing there is, and what he's been speaking to me about is that he has a purpose in mind a plan in mind but he defines how we get to that purpose and so here I am striving to be the bride and he's telling me focus on me and focus on others to be transformed so I'm looking to serve him and do his will which has become the bride but through my own efforts and my way and then he goes and you know and we're hearing week after week, you can't do it yourself, you can't do it yourself. So why do I continue to try to understand, try to walk this out? So it could look like, you know, a holy journey that I'm on because my desire is pure in the sense I want to be transformed into the likeness of Christ so that I can be the bride, but he has a way. And so rather than submit to his way, 
I try and make that way. So the outcome, we're both heading to wanting, wanting us to get to the same outcome. I'm wanting to get the same outcome as him, but it's got to be his way. You know, and he defines it, yeah, and he, he does it, you know. And it just reminds me of David, you know, and, and it says these famous words that you don't delight um, in sacrifices yeah. and burnt offerings. You know, what you're looking for is a broken and contrite heart, you know. And it's like God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Mm. He literally spoke the entire wor- world into being. Does he really need our service? Do you know what I mean? It's like he is so capable. He doesn't need us. But he invites us to be co-heirs, you know, not to serve him, but to serve with Mm. him. You know, and I I like what you're saying, Nick. You know, it's not not so much what we're doing, it's the way Mm. that we're doing it. And that's what we see in John, you know. And everything that we've been talking about tonight Mm. is bringing to light the way of God, you know, in that John was living and serving from a particular kind of posture in him, you know. And actually it says that, you know, he who is the least in the kingdom is greater than John. Mm. So we have something that John actually didn't have, you know, yet he demonstrated a a heavenly kind of wisdom. How much more can we now, when we've got the Holy Spirit, serve from this true posture and the substance of Christ in us? You know, John should have been, John was the greatest of Mm. the old. Yeah, He's the, he's the, Example of what we're, you know, mm. or a snapshot of mm. a foreshadow of what the real deal is, you know. And so, how much more for us being able to now serve from this new and living way, hey, you know? So, man, that comes across as pretty weighty, eh? Yeah. You know, we look at the life of John the Baptist and what we're describing this heart laid down for God, and he's the least mm. in the kingdom. That's a weighty thing, not to drive us to fear but to drive us to him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think we, like we, you know, the standard is Christ, eh? You know, and we can't compare ourselves to anyone other than him. You know, like even with, even with David, it can be so easy to think, you know, oh, I'm, I'm so glad that David committed adultery and fell. It just makes me, uh, it gives me so much confidence because, um, you know, people aren't perfect and I'm not perfect. And yeah. so, I can relate. Do you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. but but that is like the absolute opposite yeah. of what God is speaking in those passages. Mm. Eh? You know, it's like the comfort that we would find mm. in someone's inability and lack is actually demonic. You yeah. know what I mean? It's yeah. like that the standard is Christ, mm. and if you're finding comfort in the fact that someone is not living up to the standard, you're finding a false kind of comfort. Mm. The, the, the standard that Christ brought is actually to literally bring yeah. us to our knees and the weightiness is yeah. actually to floor us, eh? yeah. you know, that we realize, man, this thing is so big and it's so pure and it's so holy that I have no ability in me to live like that, you know, and, it, and instead of walking away having heard a good message, yeah. you walk down, you, you fall down to your knees, whether physically or internally, mm. And, and like, God, you know, I'm so desperately in need of you mm. to do this eternal work in me, hey, you know. So. So just, um, mm. John the Baptist also, like, in his message says, um, for the kingdom of God is here. So he even understood what the king, that it was the kingdom of, of 
He knew that Jesus had come to bring the kingdom, but it says that that he, you know, he who is the least in the kingdom, the mm. one who's entered into this kingdom life, mm. is greater yep. than John. You know, and so it's like he he saw it, but there was something greater for us to enter into now that we have the Holy Spirit and the reality of Christ's life in us. Eh? Mm. Any other thoughts or comments? Otherwise, we'll jump into um, table discussion. Yeah. Um, I'm just really grateful to hear you talking about these things and I wasn't expecting to hear this about John the Baptist but it, that's what's there um, because that's the work that God's been doing in me and what he's been teaching me and the environments he's put me in and everything you're saying about the value system of heaven working through him is, I feel, is what he's established in me and the value system that he's been building in me and where you don't even maybe for example you might go into prayer and you wouldn't even, you don't even think of praying for yourself that's not what comes naturally necessarily mm. because you're focused on something greater than that mm. um and the 1 Corinthians 12 and 13 i guess that's something i've really i've really wanted for you know god god's the spiritual family and yet mm. it, it's something that i've longed for and i've prayed for and it's really nice to hear you know this being coming from other people um, but yeah everything you're saying about John the Baptist I'm like oh yeah that's that's me that's us that's the people in the environment that God's put me in who may be very humble you know unglamorous people doing a very unglamorous job but everything about that is exactly what he builds amongst us and how he builds us in the environment that he's put me in so yeah cool. And it's who we're to be and to become, eh? You know, and for all of us here, you know, like we'll be in different different points on the journey. Mm. And I think what's beautiful is that there's always more, hey. Yeah. You know, regardless of of where we are, there's a deeper love to, to enter into. There's a there's a greater reality of Him that you know we we can read these scriptures and be encouraged at the deep work that he's done in us and be inspired to enter into more, eh? you know? And so it's like that constant what he's done, but also not selling us short of even a greater work that he wants to do and, and, and being, um, you know, um, always in that teachable, hungry place, eh, of, of him forming himself in us. Absolutely. Pressing on. Cool. You know, the Apostle Paul talks about running the race and, you know, keeping the faith. And I, I kind of conceptually, I kind of think about, you know, you run 100 metres and there's a sign there and you're like, hey, it must be the end. And it says, no, just keep going. It's like, oh, I didn't realise there's more. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, keep going. Another sign. Oh, surely this is the end. No, 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 keep going. And then you just realise how far you are from the end. <laughs> yeah. But, it, but it, it really humbles you and it um, gives you a joy that there's more. Mm-hmm. And it's like, um, and you can be glad that even though no matter how much you grow, you're still in a bad position because of sin. God's like, you know, I want you to keep going. And he encourages you and you just, it's an awesome thing. Mm. And that's what Paul says, eh? Not that I've achieved this. Paul, you know, mm. like the, the, the apostle Paul, you know, not that I've already 
achieve this, um, you know, and he says, but I press on for what the prize, the upward call that's mm. in Christ, eh, you know? And if Paul could say, I haven't achieved this yet, how much more for us? But what had he achieved? Mm. You know what I mean? It's like, man, the guy was in an incredible measure of what we're talking about tonight. But he says, hey, I'm so grateful for what God has done in me, but I'm not letting that disqualify me mm. for the even greater and the yeah. even more. Yeah. Yeah. The, 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 the more we go on in him, the more dependent that we get, we become more childlike mm. as opposed to less childlike, hey? mm. you know? And it's like we become the, the ones who are, are the greatest at receiving. You know what I mean? And so yeah. there's, there's, always, there's always more, so that's cool. Mm.